0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in.
1: Welcome. Welcome to those who are watching online uh, for our Wednesday night service. We're continuing our study in the book of Genesis. If you want to, you can turn ahead and to Genesis 24. That's where we will be studying through tonight. But before we jump in there, we'll take a few minutes to review. The message from last week, as Nathan taught through uh, chapters 20 through 23, which was quite a bit. Um, but so we'll, we'll just kind of break it down in, in bits and pieces. Uh, in chapter 20, we read about Abraham and the passing of his wife, Sarah. Um, or I'm sorry, the passing off of his wife, Sarah, as his sister, because that's coming up. <laughs> or... or in the next chapters, but he passes her off as his sister. This is, you know, this, as we said before, a a half lie, which is really, or a a half truth, which is a whole lie. And uh, he passes her off to King Abimelech of Gerar. And it's not the first time. It's actually now the second time that he's done this little ploy. The first was with um, an Egyptian pharaoh back in chapter 12. So it seems, you know, like he, He's gaining some ground in this faith walk, but he he seems to be one step forward and two back. Um, But nonetheless, the issue in both these circumstances was the issue of trust, Uh, a faith in the Lord and the promise of the Lord that was given to him not once, but several times. And despite having received that promise of a biological heir from himself and from Sarah, abraham reacts in fear to the circumstances that currently he's currently facing and he's afraid for his life which in as we said before in he really ends up jeopardizing not only his own life but his whole family and and really what we look at that and say we are really no different are we uh, though though we are believers and we have seasons of great faith as abraham did i mean after all he left everything that was familiar at the command of God, left it all to wander in the land. And so he had great moments of faith, but like, like him, we have these moments where we look at our circumstances and go, oh, this is bad. I better come up with a good plan. And usually, honest, if we're honest, most of our plans that are based in fear or doubt end up coming to real messes, don't they? That's no different for him. As Nathan said, old habits, sinful habits, rise, raise their head. Uh, in chapter 21, we saw the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. In verse 2 of that chapter, it says, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. So there is this idea that the Lord had an appointed time for his promise to be fulfilled. And there is an appointed time for, for every event that happens in our lives. Do we believe that God is sovereign? Yes, I do. I believe that he's sovereign wholeheartedly, because he tells us over and over again, he's demonstrated that throughout the entirety of the Bible, in the faithfulness of the saints. But more than that, he is faithful to his promise, not only Abraham and his descendants, but to us as well, the people of faith that would come through that lineage all the way to Jesus but he has an appointed time for these things and we've got to be about God's program in his timing. Listen, um, just thinking of people that I love and cherish in this fellowship that are going through difficult circumstances (coughs) and thinking that God has a time that he wants to deal with each one of us in those crises that brings about his greatest glory, and our good and this is the testimony again that we see in Abraham's life God's plan was perfect and uh but despite Abraham's faltering faith and Sarah's laugh of disbelief God remains faithful that's the one constant all throughout the book of Genesis God remains faithful despite the unfaithfulness of his people even you and I. In chapters 22, we read about the offering of Isaac and the the, the faith of Abraham to do that. And this this test demonstrated Abraham's maturing faith. (coughs) His maturing faith in the Lord as his provider and as his protector. And And we we see this also in in Hebrews chapter 11. It's kind of a side reference. Uh, The greatness of Abraham's faith as he offers, he's willing to offer his son Isaac because in Hebrews 11, we understand and learn that Abraham believed that God, if necessary, would raise his son back to life. That's how great his faith is. And and again, I don't want us to miss that. Despite his faltering steps along the way that look much like ours, he had these incredible moments of faith where he is grasping fully, holding on, even as God is holding on to him. As Abraham said in verse 8 of chapter 22, Abraham assures Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. He goes up there and he's like, I, he didn't know the program. He knew one piece, go and offer your son. And he takes it right to that last second. And then indeed, God does provide the lamb, the ram in the thicket, and they offer it up. Now, can you imagine what that did for Isaac? If you want to talk about a a place of remembrance, where as a father, you're telling your son, "I know this looked crazy." telling yourself i know your child i know this looks crazy i think of you know some friends of ours that are serving in uganda bill and danielle or um, liam's parents dave and deanna chafee uh, with the 10th hour project stepping out in faith in what seemed like pure insanity to many people but saying no god will provide to be able to communicate that to your child to say we saw god provide a powerful touchstone, a a place to go back and remember and say, I have seen the goodness of God and and you can't convince me otherwise. And also then mixed in this, this narrative here of this event there on the mountain is the foreshadowing of the coming lamb that would be provided by the father, right? So it's just this, just rich, it's looking forward to to the hope that would be through isaac many generations later Uh, it's just it's a beautiful picture and finally last we learned last week in chapter 23 about the death of sarah which is kind of this kind of weird parenthetical chapter where it just says you know here's what happens but in that we can see how abraham despite real challenges in their marriage I mean, she says, you know, hey, take my handmaiden, Hagar. I have a child with her. That'll be the heir. It it doesn't turn out, you know, again, best best laid plans of mice and men. It does not turn out well. That becomes an internal struggle. And Abraham says, do what you want with her, you know, whatever should happen. It was not a high high point. But despite these things, you see this tenderness and this love, because I can only imagine as he is, watching his wife pass and he's thinking all the mistakes that he's made and times he wish he could have had back. At the same time, he's thinking, wow, what a woman of faith. She left everything to follow me, the nut job, right? Now there's a woman of faith. And so there's this tremendous honoring of her life. And uh, he purchased the, the cave there. He wants it as, as a permanent resting place. He doesn't want just some mound in the desert or mound on a hillside that will soon be forgotten. No, he wants a place that she would be remembered. It's, it's a life honored, a life of faith. Despite her failings, Abraham loved her and honored her, even as God loved and honored him in his weaknesses and failings. Abraham has grown spiritually and his faith in God has really increased uh, and now more than ever, he is trusting in the Lord as his provider and protector. And this is how he's going to finish his life. He's going to finish well. And thus, as we approach the closing of Abraham's story, we could easily say, as Nathan mentioned last week, Abraham walked with God. He, he walked with God, especially close in those final years. And that brings us to chapter 24. If you'll read with me, we're going to read and then talk a little bit and read and talk a little bit. We'll We'll get through this chapter. So verse one of chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the canaanites among whom i live but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son isaac again he's grown in his faith he's approaching the twilight years of his life i think he's somewhere around 140 years old if we jump ahead i think he lives about another 35 years now you think about that. I mean, that's comparatively. Uh, Liam and I were talking about it. Um, he he was definitely past middle age by their standards. Now, by our standards, this was dude was ancient. But we're going to get to that in a little bit, as even as we look at the marriage of Isaac. This mature faith is now directing Abraham as he does what he can as a good father, as a good father to ensure his descendants, particularly Isaac, stay the court of faith set before them. He calls upon his oldest servant. Now, we don't know exactly who this is. Could it have been uh, Eliezer, uh, which is mentioned in chapter 15? Possibly, certainly is possible, but we don't know for certain. But he he takes this servant, his most trusted servant, and he, in essence, enacts this covenant, enters into this agreement with God as a witness. And he said, my son shall not marry from among the pagan nations in which we reside. You are my servant and you are tasked with finding him a wife from my own country and people. Now, generations later, Solomon would write these words. He says, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, when he is old, he will not depart from it. I, Abraham up to this point has taught Isaac what it means to believe in and follow God. That as we, as we came out of that, you know, chapter there with the potential sacrifice of isaac if there was an ever a moment where isaac would be like my dad really believed <laughs> it was a bit sketchy but my dad really believed what it means to believe and trust in god to 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 know god's character to follow in faith and abraham doesn't want anything or anyone messing with the example that he's placed in his son which, which begs the question, what example are we setting for our children? Now, we might, you might be here today and you might not have any children or your kids may all be out of the home, but you are equally, equally an example for other people's children. Here in this church, as Pastor Doug says, when we uh, dedicate a child, is that child's gonna have to grow up and make a decision to follow Christ all on their own by God's grace, may it never be said of that child that they look at the church and say, that's why I walked away from God because of what I saw in God's people. What example, what example, what modeling are we doing? To what lengths will we go to ensure our children follow the Lord once they leave our care? Because this is what Abraham is facing. What challenge has the Lord given to you and me regarding our children? As you sit here and think, ponder that. What things are we neglecting that God is saying that that will ensure, that will increase their odds of following me all the days of their life? It's one of the things that Sam and I prayed very early on from our children, right at, you know, when they were first born. Lord, may this child walk with you always. And we pray that with them. Are we praying for our children's future spouse? Should the Lord tarry? You know, some of us have little children. Little, t- I have an 11-year-old. Um, if the Lord should tarry, are we praying for godly spouses? Is our desire to see our kids partner with someone of the same heart and mind regarding God. Verse five, the servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Abraham says this in verse six with a lot of gusto. Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. He's like, under no circumstances. The Lord the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Now, this is an act of faith on Abraham's part. He is telling this servant, listen, the Lord is going to send, he's, he's, he's prophesying, the Lord is going to send an angel to go before you to direct the affairs of men. But on some weird harebrained chance that she says, no, thank you, you're released. Probably not going to happen, but okay, I'm just going to swage your cons- conscience here. Abraham does not w- I- want Isaac to marry an unbeliever. He also doesn't want him to return to the land of his forefathers. He gives the two warnings, don't marry around here and don't return. Why? Well, this is tied up in a long bunch of history, which we've already kind of wandered through, uh, or I should say wander, it's not the right word, walked through uh, as we've gone through Genesis. The, the people of the land, the Canaanites, they were a pagan nation made up of several different groups, uh, ethnic groups. Now, this rolls all the way back to the descendants of Ham there as Noah and his family are not long off off the boat. And Ham really... Um, disrespects his father that's putting it mildly so much so that Noah pronounces this curse on him now when if you go back and read that it seems like the curse is on his son but what he's saying he says because of your bad behavior the character and nature of you as a man as a father this is what your sons are going to be like through Canaan and it begins this long pronouncement of a curse Now this here we are, these generations later, and the curse has borne its full fruit and you have this, these groups, the Amorites, the Hittites, Jebusites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, um, later on the Moabites and their religious practices had become a, a total abomination to the Lord. They were completely outside the boundaries of reasonable human thinking. They worshipped many different gods. The chief of them was Dagon and Baal, but also Asherah, Anet, Mot, and, and potentially as many as 234 other gods. Now, not all of these groups worshipped the exact same ones for with, the, with the exceptions of Baal and Asherah. And these are common names that we will hear as we roll forward in Genesis and then into the Exodus uh, out of Egypt and towards the promised land. You hear all these same names of these same gods of wicked people, wicked people. These are people who have abandoned any connection with Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God Almighty. They've been, they've been fully embraced grotesque, immoral and demonic religious practices, which included idol worship first and foremost, public ritual sexual practices you see that even more so as you get farther into um, the narrative and even offering the living their living children their firstborn children at times as burnt offerings again this was a practice that became very evident in the times of israel much of their practices their religious practices centered around sex and fertility that Does that sound kind of familiar familiar in the culture in which we live? In Genesis 19, these religious practices and sins were central to the history and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment came down upon them. He's like, this is one bad set of people. I just need to clean the slate. This is where they're all part of. In Numbers chapter 31 we, this is moving much further in the history. We hear about the, the prophet Balaam and how he advised Balak, king of Moab, to encourage intermarriage with the men of Israel and to adopt worshiping their idols. And sadly, despite innumerable warnings, the nation Israel would adopt or marry into. And then even the kings, even Solomon, the wisest king that would live, took on many of these wives and their religious practices. Himself. So this is that warning. He's Abraham. If it's possible, he's looking down the lens of the future and like that's one bad deal. Not my son. Not on my watch. Well, the New Testament we also get a similar warning. It's in Second Corinthians chapter six, verses fourteen to sixteen. It says, "Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness?" Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? This addresses all those things. So it's the same warning for you and I. This is what Abraham sought to keep Isaac from, to be bound to an unbeliever. the imagery that he's, what he's saying here, the imagery is from a, from a life on a farm, like you would see in Abraham's day, where you would, if you were so foolish, you would take two dissimilar animals and put them into a yoke or the harness to plow a field. So if you can imagine, you put a donkey and an ox together in a team to plow a field, what would you get? A lot of squiggly lines or no work at all? Because eventually the ox is going to get tired of pulling all the weight the donkey may just quit altogether and be stubborn. There is no one winning in this equation, right? And that's what God is saying. There is no winner in this equation. Abraham's desire for Isaac was for him to be equally yoked, equally bound, complimenting, pulling in the same direction with his wife when it came to worshiping and serving the Lord. This is what the Lord commands us for us today to be equally matched spiritually. Not talking about spiritual maturity. I'm talking about faith in God through Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, many people, even Christians today, marry for reasons other than pursuing the purposes of God. I can tell you that was Sam and I, my wife and I, that was our example is that we were unequally yoked. We got married for certain, yes, love, but a, f- a fair mixture of lust probably in there as well. Um, and it it had some. We had some really rough years. Looks and personality, professional goals, similar hobbies, a companion. These are reasons that some people marry. Even Christians marry for today. However, from U.S. News and World Report, and this is from December of 2019. Here are the top nine reasons that they recommend people should get married for. Top nine. It's cheaper. Says who? (laughs) It's better for the economy. Two incomes. Better for communities and neighborhoods. There's that stability, perhaps. You live longer. That is actually true. Married couples typically live longer than single people. Children fare better in marriage. That's also true less stress (laughs) I suppose no but it is that's one of the reasons why you live longer there is less there is generally less when compared to the unmarried better social networks so networking better social networking and financial security not one mention not one mention of the word love of worshiping God of sexual purity nor serving others because of God's love toward us. Those are the top nine reasons that you should get married in our culture today. You and I live in a time that looks sadly familiar to the Canaanites in Abraham's day. Sex and personal pleasure and worship of anything but God is the norm. As parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, we should be modeling and teaching the next generation, the blessings, the blessings and benefits of following the Lord in daily life and especially when it comes to marriage. As single people, God established a standard for who is a good marriage partner. It is the wise person who chooses that standard first that says this is the standard. Everything else has to fall underneath that. Verse nine, so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time the time when women go out and draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the string and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. We see here, this wise servant forms a plan and he forms this plan that is consistent with his master's character and commands. Do we do that? Do we form a plan that is consistent with our master's character and commands? James talks about that, this idea that we might make plans and have no clue that that very night, our life might be required of us. Nonetheless, the servant formed a plan and it started with acknowledging the authority and goodness of God. As we think about things that we would desire to do, some of them very good things, our first response ought to be to acknowledge the authority and the goodness of God. It's, it's that thankful heart. It's that worshiping heart that orients us, that brings us to a right place of humility so that we know who we are in light of who he is. Because the servant, he has seen the obvious blessings of God toward Abraham. Even, even when Abraham was unfaithful, he says he's the oldest servant. He's apparently heard a lot of interesting conversations. Through these observations, he determined to follow the example of his master. And he asked for a supernatural sign of blessing and confirmation. And that's not wrong. Um, it's not wrong for us even in our day to desire a supernatural sign. Some might say this is a fleece, much as was used in the the Old Testament under Gideon. But it's wrong if we ignore the tools the Lord has provided. This servant had lots of tools. He had been taught about God, he knew who God was through the character of his master. It wasn't like he was short on details. It's wrong if we ignore the tools the Lord provided. Matthew 12, 39, an evil and adulterous, Jesus says this to the religious leaders who are pressing him now for a miraculous sign. And Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign and yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth the religious people of Jesus's day were ignoring the tools that God had already given them a rich history the written word of God as, as Jesus as God said you've been entrusted with the very oracles of God they have it's not like they lack information it was here they lacked what Abraham lacked which Paul wrote about, it was faith, his faith, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. They lacked that. They were, they were I wanna live by sight. Show me, dance, puppet dance. And, go, and Jesus says to him, you got nothing. The only thing I'll give you is the very thing that the prophets prophesied. Three days, three nights, the resurrection, that will be my final answer. God's written word, his moral will, as someone described it, is an abundant source of wisdom for decision-making for you and I today. It's not like we lack tools and information. Second Peter 1, 2 through 3, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. How did they know him? They knew him through his word, through the testimony of the disciples, we would know. It's not like we lack tools or information. Sometimes we just lack the desire to pursue them and use them. That's certainly for me. There's times I was just like, I would just like a neat, tidy, in the box, miraculous answer. Could you just do that? God says, wait a second, I've given you like millennia of miraculous. His word combined with prayer and godly mature counsel is sufficient to guide our attitudes or emotions and to lead us to make godly, wise decisions. And this servant uses the tools effectively. And how did it work out? Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, <laughs> behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little from your jar, water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to the, her hand and gave him a drink. Much like I'm drinking now. Now, when he had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will, also, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the the man bowed down low and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. brothers." He's watching her. What is he watching her for? He's watching to see if she's going to finish the job because this is no small thing. Liam and I were talking about it before the service. We say, well, there doesn't seem to be any real miraculous thing. Well, let's pause for a moment and consider the cultural context here. This is a young girl. She's got a a, earthenware jar that she's going to dip into the well. Let's be generous and say it carried five gallons of water we know from the beginning that there were 10 camels. Now a camel, this is about a 900 mile journey, by the way, a camel after a particularly long journey with very little water could drink as much as 40 gallons of water. So let's just say it was half of that. She would have had to make it five gallons of pop. How many trips, 40. man, A ton, a ton of water for a, as as Liam said, she wasn't all swole up either, (laughs) right? This was, I mean, it was a workout. And then he's waiting. When she finishes the job, he's waiting. Is she from my master's relatives? And there's the linchpin right there. The odds alone, I mean, he's outside the city. I mean, this is a pretty big place. There's a lot of men, a lot of women. Boy, this is truly miraculous in many different ways. God has led him directly there. And what is his response to this truly miraculous event? Well, he worships. <laughs> when the Lord provides, when he answers, we ought to be the first to confidently, boldly worship him. We should be the first to tell our neighbors, our coworkers of how God has blessed us. You want to start a conversation? When people say, well, how did you you ever afford that? Let me tell you how God has provided for me, how he's laid all the plans to this day that I can get there. I guarantee it will at least open the door for a conversation. Might be a little one. (laughs) It might be the seed that's planted. But we should be people who are bold and confident about our thanks towards God. No glory should be given to any other person or thing. He gives all the glory to the Lord alone. As was mentioned, I think Pastor Doug mentioned this in a recent um, sermon. He said, no one would dare to thank a hammer that was used to build a house. No one would think a paintbrush used to paint a masterpiece. And this servant was not about to thank the camels for being thirsty. No, he was going to thank God who had directed his steps. Just as his master said God would do. Psalm 96, four through five. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are idols but the Lord made the heavens. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, there is only one. There is only one worthy of my worship. Is that how we approach answers to prayer, blessings from God? There is only one to be worshiped, one to be recognized. Verse 28. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister saying, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house, then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he, the servant, said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Speak on. Now, this is one of those really interesting pictures and beautiful pictures of hospitality um, that maybe some of you are familiar with in 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 the culture, this was prominent, it still is prominent uh, in Middle Eastern cultures. Um, This whole idea of hospitality, I got to experience that firsthand when I attended my brother's wedding in Beirut, Lebanon and met all of his his fiance's family, incredibly hospitable people. But hospitality, this love and care of others, especially of strangers, motivated by God's love and a love for God. That's what we see happening here, this, this godly hospitality. Romans twelve nine, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, perverse, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saint practicing hospitality this is something we naturally ought to be doing now we could jump forward in the story some some years later and we see that there's a little bit of robbery in Laban's heart we don't see that yet but we are going to see it later a little devious manipulation but nonetheless he extends this hospitality as a son of his father bethuel for the believer hospitality is central to the example that christ left for us in fact in acts chapter two the early church was noted for its hospitality and its love and care for each other and for strangers we see this in jesus even in some of his um his analogies his stories Verse 34, so he said, this is the servant, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids, camels and donkeys. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age and has given him all that he has. My master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey success- successful. And you will take a wife from my son, from the re- my relatives and from my father's house then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. If they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and he now repeats the story and said, "O Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I'm standing by the spring and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, you drink and I will draw for your camels also let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder and went to du- down to the spring and drew. And I said, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will water your camels also. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Now this story just keeps getting bigger and better, right? I and mean, he's passing along and it's like, dad's like, man, I raised a good girl right there. Yes right? Uh, Laban, the brother's like, go sis. Um, then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom a bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist, and I bowed low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you were going to... Show loving kindness and truthfully deal kindly and truly with the master with my master. Tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Now, Again, notice verse 50. Whatever was going on in Laban's heart as the younger brother and seeing all this wealth and everything, both he and his father conclude the matter comes from the Lord. This is central to the reason why Abraham said, go to my family. When when we are faithful, and this, this now relates to the servant, when we're faithful to obey and speak of the Lord's faithfulness and goodness, the work of God is more clearly seen. As I mentioned before, when we're bold, when we're excited, we're unashamed about what God is doing, the work of God is more clearly seen And the passion that we have. Psalm 145, one through four, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is, this is how, how we ought to be living so that it is one generation to the next will continue to declare his works, his mighty acts. We should not be afraid to share our testimony. We shouldn't. We should not be, even a little bit, to tell of the amazing and supernatural the work the Lord has done in my life. Our testimony of God's power and faithfulness through Jesus is a powerful one. And it's a powerful one mentioned in chapter 12, verse 11. It says, because of that, we were able to overcome demonic forces by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony to offer hope, to offer hope to those who are perishing. Verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10, afterwards she may go. Now, it's interesting, uh, this is a cultural practice for all real purposes here in the U.S. that's ceased to exist, this whole idea of giving a dowry. Now, it's really interesting because if you go to Africa, this is a very common practice still. The giving of gifts to the family members, to to the bride's parents and beyond that. But one of the reasons they did that was to ensure that the groom had the means and the intention of supporting this new wife. It was really about counting the cost. the Counting the cost of bonding yourself to another human being in the sight of God for eternity. Sadly, in our day, I think we can all understand and see that counting the cost of marriage is pretty low on the priority scale, much less counting the cost of providing for someone else, just financially. I'm not talking about just financially, but sadly people have give little or no thought to the spiritual component of marriage. Do I have a godly spiritual foundation to serve as an anchor in marriage? because that's the most valuable resource. Let me tell you, if you're not married, and if you are married, you understand this, marriage is not for a wimp, right? It's not for the weak or faint of heart. You put two people that are incredibly different into the same space for long enough, and you will find things to be irritated about. And it doesn't take that long. And that's just the very simple things. Now, when you add greater financial responsibility, the rearing of children, places to live, work, the list grows and grows and grows. Outside of the spiritual responsibility now that God has placed on the man and the woman. But here he is, he he worships God again and he says, Send me on my way. And they say, how about just give us ten days? Which was not an unreasonable request, except when you consider the traveled about nine hundred miles, right? And he's a little anxious to get back home. He's the oldest of Abraham's servant. He is no spring chicken, right? He's got to take these camels all the way, and now he's got some more people to take with him. And he said to them, verse 56, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Thus they sent her away, their sister Rebecca, and her nurse Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your (coughs) descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebecca arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Boy, there's some interesting pieces (coughs) in this. Rebecca, or the family members, actually declare a prophetic statement. Become thousands of ten ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. What happened with the nation Israel? They possessed the gates of the very people that hated them the most. And they did become thousands of ten thousands, millions as they entered into the promised land But also, just think about this This servant. He's, he's anxious to get home because he is about, as it was earlier said, he is about his master's business. When we're following God's leading, we should be about his business with that same sense of urgency. I should be. Do we know how long we have left? No. He could come at any moment. Time is short to declare him to others we should not be delaying you see there's just this incredible beautiful picture of a faithful man of a faithful servant that jesus talked about more than once how are we doing in this are we about his business are we dealing with it with a sense of urgency that we want to be prepared for our master's return but rebecca is also this great example of a woman of faith again we're not sure of rebecca's age entirely at this point i mean i think i probably jump forward and maybe sort that out um but she's she's pretty young and here she is she's leaving with a bunch of strange men and her maidservant traveling an incredible distance now we'd say 900 miles no big deal right we get in our cars maybe take us a day or two maybe three if we're push if we want to take our time this would this was a long trip long hard trip and she says i will go she is putting her faith and this is the other reason why abraham wanted someone from his own household people of faith, people of faith. It shouldn't be missed that when, when Laban says to the servant, blessed of the Lord, he uses the word, Lord, Yahweh, the one God, the one that Moses, or that, that, that was spoken about later on in Noah. He uses the same words. There are people of faith, and it's clear that Rebekah is a woman of faith, and she sets out on this journey. She is relying upon the goodness and the wealth of the groom. Who are we relying upon? Is Jesus, do we look at him as the one who is ultimately good, the perfect good, who owns everything, as the scripture says, and like, well, he's got everything I need. There's nothing else I got left back here. I will abandon mother, father, sister, brother. Like, I'll go because he has everything. As the disciple says, you have the very words of eternal life we see the groom, Jesus, our groom, in that way? And will we walk out in faith wherever he would lead us? Verse 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Bir Laharoy, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The first description here we see of Isaac now in this piece of history is that he is meditating you wonder where he got that from? He got that from his dad, from his mom, from the example that they'd set before. It wasn't, it wasn't meditating like you know this weird, no, he was meditating upon the Lord. He was there in the evening as the day was closing, he's thinking about all the goodness of God. Is this the example that we set for our wife? For our children, our family, for our friends. Are we those people that when when they see us, they see us as people who are meditating on the Lord day and night, as the scriptures say. Now, also we see here that in relation to Isaac and Rebecca, that finding a marriage partner, uh, partner according to God is, is a source of strength. For, for Isaac, this was a source of emotional strength. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable for him. God said, I recognize there's a, a need here. And so he sends him a helpmeet, a helpmate, someone that will make up for those weaknesses and lack that he has. And this is the very thing that Rebecca is to Isaac. Now, it's interesting. Isaac would have been about 40 years old at this time. Now, as we think about that, it's like, wow, getting married at middle-aged. Well, his dad lived to 175, so he's really like 25, <laughs> right? If you think about it in those terms, he's still like a whippersnapper, according to their culture, just a pup. But here he is, Proverbs 18, Who he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You could also say the same for a woman who finds a godly husband. It is God's design for us to be a helper to one another, to be a strength when the other is weak, right? That we are to be a strength. Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to submit, therefore, one to another, to care for one another. That is God's heart and plan. So as we wrap up chapter 24, from the beginning of chapter 24 until the end, the Lord is revealing his character, his plan, and he is reaffirming his faithfulness to those who love him and are called according to his purposes and the blessings to be found in that relationship. We should ask ourselves, how are we doing? How are we doing when it comes to modeling or teaching the next generation of believers? Are we concerned with their purity and devotion to God? Are we preparing them for that? Are we entertaining ideas of being unequally yoked or bound to an unbeliever? Not just in marriage, but in life. Are we courting friendship, as it were, with the world and forgetting we are not of this world? We are called to be in it, to be ambassadors to it, but not to be of it. Is hospitality a visible, tangible mark of Christ in our life? And do our life plans flow from seeking God in his word, in prayer, and in godly counsel, as we press forward to do our master's business? Is that how we are characterized now? If not, God has a remedy for that. He says, seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be opened. will come in right he will be there he will help us because he is the faithful God from generation to generation amen
0: thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis if you're ever in the Portland area we would love to have you visit us for one of our services for more information about our church you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.